Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Hi, and welcome to Episode 6 of the Smart City Podcast, recorded on October 29th, 2020. I'm Alan Cross, along with Locomobi World founder and CEO Grant Furlane, and also today, company president Brian Story. Today, we're going to talk to Steve Dentinger, the VP of Canada Sales and Service Access Solutions Americas for Dormacamba. This show is all about security in the connected world. First, though, let's get up to date on some news with Grant. All right, Grant, what have we got for news this time? Well, Alan, you know, I try to find all kinds of stuff that affects the future and where we're going with infrastructure and cloud and all that stuff. I thought it was uh, another disrupting thing that I think will be affect everybody. And I don't know how they're going to afford it, but they will. Amazon now delivers home through Whole Foods. You can order and they give you even a time frame and guarantee it. Your pickup is 10 minutes. I think it delivers within an hour. So you can order all your groceries and they deliver it to your house. Um, it's a standard feature now in the United States. Well, I do know some people that have been shopping at Whole Foods. They have gone in to buy stuff for themselves, but the aisles are crowded with pickers. Yes. People who were picking for those who have phoned in or... But they were picking up. No, no, no. These were people who were actually... For deliveries? Sh- for shopping for deliveries. There you go. You know, and we keep saying this, you know, we had Amazon on here and... They continue to amaze me. Um, we always worried about how big will they get? Do we care? I mean, people are going to follow anyhow. I would be shocked if Walmart doesn't come up with it next week. Yeah. But it's not going to change, though. I really believe that this has changed. Now, we've created an industry delivery to the biggest it could be, and I think that's great. We've created an industry for uh, curbside uh, uh, payments and curbside pickup. But another thing that they just keep doing that keeps changing how we do things in life. And it was COVID related, but I truly believe it was going to happen regardless. It's accelerated. Um, so home delivery, what a growth industry. It, it needs sorting out and we need some, some protections for the people who are doing. Yeah. I mean. Um, but then we're going to get into drones eventually. Get when you mean eventually. Okay, we're going to get into more drones. They're there. Yeah. I mean, guys, it is exciting, right? I mean, I know we got to talk about all the crappy stuff that goes with it. It is exciting to have a drone deliver something to my house. If you're a techie, man, that's exciting as can be. No, I, I'd be real happy because you could track the drone so so carefully, uh, and it's it'll certainly be faster than than the guy in the and the in the Camry who's coming who stops two or three places on the Absolutely. way with my Chinese food. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I mean, I'm excited again, and I realize all the other stuff. But rah rah Amazon and anyone else that does it. Um, another thing that was interesting that uh, I think that is is misinformation, misunderstanding. Um, we really have to curb back this whole five G phenomenon. What do you mean curb back? Well, okay, so let's go with Apple came out um, with their recent earnings and their show, and they talked all about the new 5G phone. Which is not really. Well, here's it, guys, and nothing happened to their stock, and there's a reason. I don't think people realize 
there's very few 5G networks that, that, that are truly 5G. And I'm hearing 10 years before that infrastructure is in place. Two, some of the 5G networks you think you're in, 4G is actually faster because there's more access to different networks. Um, by the way, there is no doubt 5G doubles your capacity. But let's not get too excited and realize we're in a 4G world, 5G is coming. But don't be gotten that phone tomorrow thinking you're going to have 5G. Even if they say they have it, it's pocketed. We all know that. Come on, guys. I have 4G at home and my internet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, so I, I'm just saying, you know, and, and, and I love Apple because they always come up with great, great devices, which I've never owned. Um, other than I plan to be the first to order their new flip phone when it comes out that has flips with a screen on the outside. And then opens up to a screen in the inside, double screen. So your phone is, when you're looking at it, it always has a little screen, like a square in color. Then you open it, it's the full screen. I'm telling you, I may be converted. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I'm hearing from my friends in the United States is that some of the carriers will give you an indication on your phone that you are connected to a 5G network when you're not. You're not. You're not. Know how you do it? Do it how they tested it. So some guys went out with their phones or Apple phones and they went to 5G networks and they tested their phone. Then they went to a 4G network and the 4G network was twice as fast. Okay. So I'm not running out to buy a 5G phone. No, it's coming. But yeah, just, but I don't have overtime. to do it tomorrow. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, finally, um, what I think is news is yeah, if you guys don't get all excited about the, the, the talks of the deficit from COVID. Are we talking about government financial deficits? Yeah, it's okay. $343 billion. Everyone's going, oh my God, how are we going to pay for it? That isn't even close to the bonds that we issued in older deficit problems. Not even a tenth. So, you know, what people don't know, they go, they'll issue bonds, they'll issue things that are synonymous with covering debt. And quite frankly, I will bet you, we may have some of the lowest debt in the world. And so for the Canadians, I understand others, um, don't freak about this. I think that uh, it's manageable. I think that there's lots of ways to recover and it won't be through taxation in a major way, in a major way. Yet people keep saying that. I just wanted to correct them that we've, this is not the worst debt crunch you've ever been through. Oh no, I remember the early nineties. And they raised money on bonds you know, low interest, uh, higher interest bonds that slowly raised all the money they needed. Everyone, particularly if you want to cover a deficit, this is the time to do it. Why? If you're getting 1% for your bank and Canada gives you three, you're in. And so they'll raise the money. They'll do things that will help us. Um, okay, well, that's my hope. But I think we have to, like, I just think there's enough concern enough people and worries about what COVID's doing than to worry about this. I think we need to deal with the pandemic before we deal with anything else, because with a pandemic, we can't do anything else. Steve Dentinger likes to talk about keys, not just the ones you keep on a ring in your pocket, but virtual keys loaded with all kinds of personal credentials that'll help you gain entry to, uh, well, you'll see. Steven joined us at Locomobile World Headquarters to talk about how your phone is gonna be your key to a lot of things and more. Steve, I, I'm, I'm having trouble pronouncing the name of your company, and I know that's a terrible way to start this program, but could you give me the correct pronunciation 
of the company? Absolutely, Alan. It's Dormacaba. Dormacaba. And Dormacaba does what? So think of think of the opening, right? So everything at the door from, from hinges to automatic door closers to access control, uh, um, lodging credentials, smart cards, all the way up to networked access control. We do everything at the opening to automate it, to make it secure uh, for, for people and, uh, and, and traffic that go through those openings. So you are a gatekeeper. In many ways, yes, right? There, there's been a lot of talk with, with smart cities about smart cities right. and the security that's going to be required for these newly connected communities. But the focus has been mostly on data security and nothing physical. So, so let's talk about personal and asset security. You know, you want to make sure that everyone and everything is safe and feels safe. Uh, and you want to have, I guess your mission is to make everybody safe and secure, yes? Absolutely. Okay. Now, there have been many advancements in the security field over the years. Not long ago, you needed a physical key. That was the way you got into a building. You had a, a, a ring of keys on your belt, and you pulled it open, and you opened the building. Uh, and you drove a Harley. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's evidence that keys have been, I mean, there's centuries and centuries and centuries old. Um, the key would fit, the door would open, basically. Locks got stronger, locks got more secure, but so did people who could pick locks and get past locks. Um, and it's only been, well, I guess in the last couple of decades that locking something up became more secure than just using a key, right? It's definitely evolved. Okay, so today keys have gone electronic. Um, what types of keys do we have today? So, so first of all, let me answer it this way. Keys are not going away, right? So we, we sell a significant number of keys year after year. And, and, and just like electronic and digital keys, mechanical keys have also changed, evolved to keep up with many of the concerns. They have? You, how? Uh, as an example, uh, um, uh, we've changed how keys are cut as an example so that you can't bump a key or, or, or reduce picking. So keys are still significantly used within our marketplace. However, you're absolutely correct. There are verticals in our, in our marketplace that are moving to more digital keys and sometimes even mobile credentials. So we've seen a big movement on the access control side of our business, not the locksmithing side, but on the access control side of our business that has adopted the electronic side of using prox cards, then migrating to smart card connectivity, contactless smart cards, and whether that's in a credit card style or a FOB environment. And now we're seeing a very significant push to mobile credentials, predominantly in the multi-housing space, commercial access control space. And interesting enough, you may not know this about uh, Dormacaba, is that we're the largest issuer of mobile credentials in the lodging space. Think of uh, um, many of the large hoteliers in the market we provide their mobile credentials so you don't have to leverage your, your card or go into the uh, 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 reception desk to, to register. You can walk straight into those, those hotels and use your mobile credential that you download on your phone. In fact, in many cases, that's Dormacaba providing that, te that technology in the background. And in the world that we're in today with COVID and so on around us, that in introduces very much a touchless environment. Uh, and low friction environment in the hotel world. See, I have never been to a hotel yet where I haven't got a key card. 
So you're telling me that this will be what, an app on my phone or? It is. Absolutely. I travel a lot and the Hilton's have it. Correct. And I use them at the Doubletree, the Hilton and so on. Of course, I love it because, as you know, I patented the credit card uh, mobile phone app to open things. Um, So I love to see it at, uh, but I think it's, it's, it has to happen. I, I'm, I think that um, mobile phones are one piece of a credential, and um, it's exploded now. But, you know, when you go back to the lock side, um, it would be hard to, be, to understand why ever you'd want a key, a lock and key now. But we all know if we go home, all our doors have locks. Anyone that doesn't has gone out and put its own little app and its own little interface, whether it be ring or something and then open their door themselves, but you haven't seen that pushed by a large manufacturer into the mainstream market as in through their normal commercial channels. But I think that's going to change. Yes. Yeah, Grant, I think you, you, you nailed it there. You know, I think the more and more consumers get accustomed to our phones and everything that we touch, everything we interact with is on our, our smart devices, our phones. Um, why, not our, why not our credentials? And, and and we're starting to see that through those verticals that I mentioned, lodging, multi-housing, because it's touching where people are going in and out of their their uh, places of, uh, of where they home and where they work. We're seeing more and more companies also allowing their employees to load a mobile credential on their phone to even gain access to commercial landscapes, offices like the one that we're in here. Does this... Does the phone stay in your pocket or your purse, or do you have to actually physically bring the, it up? It's, it's in many cases, depending on what manufacturer you work with, there's tons of, of operational modes, range, touchless, right? So where you can actually tap the phone. Uh, some are you actually have to unlock your phone. So it varies by manufacturer. Because you're not actually the manufacturer. You're the back end to it. So we're, we're both actually. You are, okay. We're, we're, we're both. So the the secure issuance of mobile credentials. We, we provide all the web-based secure issuance of those credentials. We actually built a company uh, by the name of Legic that provides all of the back-end secure issuance, cryptography, so on, to ensure that that mobile credential gets to the phone securely and it's not going to you know, somebody else in error and so and It's so a on. big subject. So um, three, four years ago, you couldn't do that. Because although Android allowed you to deep into the phone IE number, Apple would not. So many of us thought, and that's how I actually originally written the patent, was you just walk up. Your phone has to be on, but the app does not have to run. Why? I'm talking to your phone ID, not the application. They wouldn't allow that. That's now come open, and now that's why you're seeing all Correct. this, and you can go with that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's absolutely right. Now it's now it's very common for us to load an app on these phones, have a secure credential. In some cases, I've even seen some folks that are touching multiple, I'll call them ecosystems, buildings, so on and so forth, that have multiple mobile credentials loaded on their phone. And I, th- and I really think, Grant, that's an opportunity for us to, you know, evolve the mobile credential space. Because what a pain having, it's like having that keychain on your, your belt, but now it's on your phone. You've got multiple virtual keys. And I think there's an opportunity as we evaluate the landscape to modernize some of the mobile credential apps. You have to, yeah, you have to be able to do what, I guess what SAP's trying to do and some of the other integrators, they're trying to make it one app that embeds all the credentials. 
So you would run yours in a white label underneath, but you want to be able to just say, hey, I want to get gas, one app. It really isn't. But the integration is, it's like the old days when you could only take AmeriExpress or Visa. I don't know if you guys know that because I'm very old. Um, you could, you had to make a choice. As soon as they started saying, let's take them all at one space, business went up for everybody. And we haven't done that yet. Go downtown and you'll see, I take five different apps or for one thing, three for another. So that consolidation of the app space hasn't happened. No so, one, and no one, every manufacturer has its own mobile credential, its own encryption. It's all BLE based, but it's all with different payloads sitting on those mobile credentials. And I think you're right, Grant. You know, when a, an app comes out where, hey, you still have multiple keys to gain access to these various ecosystems by, that are provided by different manufacturers, at some point, we're going to have a smart app that picks automatically, depending on what environment you walk into, it will pick the right key based on the environment that you're walking into. So lots developing in this space. That's, that's definitely five, I would say, probably 10 years down the road before we see that really become entrenched in our market. But the opportunity of replacing the key ring that you've, you've alluded to, Alan, and, and, and putting that on the phone and making it intelligent is what's going to make the consumer uh, uh, more sticky with those mobile credentials across all of the components they interact with. So when you talk about credentials, is it simply identifying you so you can get in someplace or do these credentials allow you to do other things? Yeah. So, so, you know, ultimately, ultimately the, the mobile credentials identify you, right? So when they're issued, they're securely issued to you as a person. Um, from there, it's the backend systems that identify, do you have permissions? Do you, if, if, do you have, uh, you know, opportunity to bill against that credential, right? So on and so forth. So typically it's the backend applications that determine what you are allowed to do when you present that. And from an access control standpoint, it's pretty clear. Right. It, it's interesting because science fiction usually does pretty good, a pretty good job in predicting where we're going with certain types of technologies and it's all been biometric. So iris scans, uh, fingerprints, palm prints, facial recognition, um, I don't recall any movie or book where you carried around your credential on your credentials on your phone. Yeah, yeah. And think of what you just said there, uh, you know, biometrics, fingerprint, facial rec. All of these technologies were ways uh, of in the past, right? And then still current in a lot oh, of ways. Oh, a combination of now. Leveraging those texts to make it less about something you're carrying and something that you have, right? Which is biometrics you have with you. Now think of the mobile credential. Mobile credential and the where it sits on our, on, our, on our phones, it has facial rec built in, perhaps. It has pin entry, perhaps. So think of now, if you have a high secure opening, you can leverage all the tech that's on that phone rather than putting a very expensive palm uh, reader, fingerprint, facial rec, it's all on the phone. It's all on the phone now. So, so now you can go with a mobile credential for basic entry points, and you can layer on additional form factors. And I'll, we call I'm, it, I'm with that all the way. Um, well, I, think, I, want, I want to ask you because this, this, you're all about license plate recognition. Correct. And this has got to be. It's the same. So, so my viewpoint on this is we developed the phone app first, patented in 1980, I'm sorry, 2013 um, in the U.S. And. It was never going to be the end of all, but it was definitely going to be for the person. Why? I can see his face. I can see this. I can 
I, and like he said, when you log in, I could say when he logs in, let him in. By the way, turn the lights on in his office. These are all the things the back end acknowledges and does for their system and other systems. So in Steve's case, they can do all kinds of functions like turn this on, have a security guard meet me, but book my lunch. You know, I can do anything you want. But when you get to a car, that's an asset. I'm really not interested in the driver. I'm interested in the car. Because what if that driver drives on a different car? Right. Drivers um, change so this, in the I same car. I always felt there's a mix. There's a reason why all of Toronto and other places in Vancouver announced it this morning in the city, the whole downtown is going to be license plate recognition. Why? That's a whole different model in that you have an asset that's tied to a person. I want to know if a guy goes in there and steals four cars. I don't know that. It just shows his face. Oh, he's a nice guy. I don't know what he's driving. So we only went a step further because I felt there's a DNA that matches with the phone. And hence why we have both. And I see us very down the road doing stuff with companies like Steve um, in the hotel industry, knowing when your guest shows up ahead of time and let him drive down and check in and all that. And you'll see that happen as the technology emerges. So, yeah, we're, we're not really that different. And, of course, the next thing you have to think about is the new DNA of the car will be the IP address of every car. Right, because all the cars are basically and smartphones you can, on and wheels. And you can say goodbye to plates. When is that? Probably 15 years. But there's no doubt every car rolling off is going to interact. And to Steve's system, it's just another piece of credential. You understand? It's yeah. a credential he'll add to a system. So to that point, Grant, it's, it's another piece and you have all these pieces and you have now this built up uh, credentials in this wallet and in the future, it all comes together. And for the user, they all, they want the seamless experience. So my question is, how do you see the proprietary working with the open source and having this all meld forged together? So to that user, it's still profitable for businesses to be in the tech world, but have the seamless convenience and security that is expected from the user. That's, Brian, that's been the, the fundamental challenge of the access control industry since it started, right? Every manufacturer has its own mobile credentials, its own credentials, whatever they may be. And, and, and sometimes standards are not the answer. I really do believe this is going to be solved at the app level right? An intelligent app that allows us to have multiple mobile credentials because I'll have mine, local mobile will have theirs, right? So on and so forth. It has different payload, different content. Maybe it's a license plate. I, I, I would prefer it. I prefer it. But, but, it but Grant, I think, that the, I think it's the app. You know, I can see an intelligent app that says, okay, Steve, here's all the mobile credentials that you've loaded on your phone. Let the app take the, take the intelligence to say, Here's the device you're presenting your phone to. I will pick the correct mobile credential based on the device you're presenting it to. And in some cases, it's a license plate in, in, in your case. In some cases, it's that front desk uh, uh, mobile credential. Or it could be the face. Reader. It could be anything. It could be face. It could be the reader at my hotel room. Now, right? this, this screams to me that it's going to need some kind of international standards. Do we have those? Well, that's the challenge, right? Is, is, is uh, uh, right now, other than the BLE standard, that's the standard. Maybe you right? want to express, uh, explain the BLE standard. So, so BLE is what's it's it's native on all mobile credential devices. It's low t low energy Bluetooth enabled devices, and that is the medium where mobile credentials are passed to 
some type of a read head, right? A read device, whether it's a, a, a digital lock set, whatever the case may be. Um, that's BLE. Um, but that's a basic standard, right? That's a medium to transfer. It's the payload. It's the content. It's how it's hackable. The content and, is and encrypted. It's hackable, so but um, and they found that, like it's found now, people can hack Bluetooth fairly easily. So the encryption becomes more and more important, and a lot of the intelligence is after it gets there, which is fine. So uh, and number two is they're going to increase the, you know, it's like anything, guys. The Bluetooth will be changed. It will be stronger. It'll be more, or or they'll come something else come on the phone. Well, and 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 look at how the access control industry has evolved. Right, it went from, you know, mag stripe cards. That was that was safe and secure at one point until we discovered how to duplicate mag stripes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then it went to prox cards, and then we figured out how to duplicate the well, prox cards. how about when you had Hollerith coded? You know, you bought SafeLock. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so they had, you know, yeah, they had a lot of different ways. Absolutely. So the same thing with digital tech is that, you know, having it as a mobile credential will allow us to on the fly make changes, change encryption tech, uh, you know, along the way as nefarious actors will, will you know, try to, to hack those, especially when something is valuable either behind the door or behind a uh, you know, well, it could be my garage door open. Correct. Welcome to the real world. That's going to always happen, guys. Um, so what kind of encryption are we talking about? 256 or higher or, or what? Yeah. So, so AES, uh, you know, Two. 256 is typically the current standard for encryption technology today. Now, privacy. Right. Okay. When you put stuff on your phone, you're putting everything. I mean, right now it's bad enough. With your credit cards, your email addresses, your banking information, all that's on your phone right now. Now, when you put these credentials that basically give somebody an open sesame command to so many things at home, at work, and elsewhere, how do you protect privacy? Yeah, so with, with anything security-related, there is a risk versus reward, right? Convenience versus security. If I wanted my, ax, my, 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 my mobile credential to function by simply walking up to the door, that's not very secure. It may be ultra secure or convenient for me because I don't have to reach into my pocket. I can just leave it in my pocket, walk up to the door. It senses my BLE credential and lets me in. Hyper convenient, not ultra secure because Brian could pick up my phone off the desk, whatever, and he's gained access to that secure room, whatever it is. So, you know, as he's, with he's any- gained access to you. And perhaps, perhaps, no, no, perhaps. Okay. But here's the next step. And that's why some mobile credentials, depending on how you layer on your, your security is still requires you to log into your phone, whether that's through your facial rec, pin code and so on. So there's additional layers of security that you add in to protect not only the content of your phone, but also to protect your mobile credentials. So as with everything, risk, convenience, and security have to be balanced in all applications. Yeah, we're, we're trying to make both happen, but I'll give you a really good example of this, guys, for these people listening out in the U.S. So in Canada, we have what we call chip pin, debit, and it's a standard in Canada. And people, it's very hard. It's been very difficult for the USA to accept this function. Why? Only one reason. Too, it takes too much work. I got to put my card in, add my chip. Yeah. You know why? No one can sit there and punch in the number but you. So, but they don't care. They don't care. 
So therefore, it has not taken off the way it should have. We're in Canada. It's automatic. Why? And who has the number one fraud for credit cards in the world? I will, I'll let you guess if you want. They've erred on the side of convenience. Convenience. And because politically and socially, they win. Yeah. Now, when you say that, um, how did, so what, what, did, what did they do? Instead of saying, you must put your pin in, well, we'll just limit the amount you can charge on your mobile app. The most you can do in a tap is $100. And now with COVID, $200. So that's how they've secured the application. What they don't know is people, for some reason, think when you get a security application embedded, that they're going in there to charge your card. No. They go, well, it's only 200 bucks. No. They want you, your information. They don't care about the 200 bucks. But when you hear it, they go, oh, don't worry about it. We're insured. No, you're not. Because it'll cover $200. Once they have your name, bye-bye. Okay, so I think that's what we're trying to do. And what, what uh, Steve said is, when you log into your phone, I don't know. Some people like to save all their passwords. I don't. So you have to use a password to get into all my apps even when you get inside. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a guy who knows all about this stuff. So he would just save it all. Look, I can do it in one try. Yeah, you can. <laughs> right? You lose it or somebody gains access to it. They've got all that content and data. Are there communities, cities, regions that have begun to incorporate this technology? So we're, from an access control stand, we're seeing more and more customers demand BLE mobile credentials from an access control standpoint. So they're not charging cards or so on. There's no dollars behind it, but they are using it to access their facilities because it's, it's easier. Don't need cards. They don't need to issue cards. They can issue it remotely. I don't need to be in the same room as you, Alan, necessary to give you a mobile credential to access a building in Edmonton, as virtual. an example. It's all back to virtual. I can do it remote. So think of, think of the environment there. It makes it a lot easier to issue credentials securely and, and, and confidently so you can still gain access and do the work you need to do at my site, my premise, whatever the case may be. And there's a hassle with cards. There's reissuance. They they can break, right? There's, there's there's that's all. Yeah, that's the main stuff. But and it's a reoccurring expense. And um, although some people don't mind doing it, and that's why we did plates. Plates is the only way you can do a car virtually. You can't issue cards. I mean, I give a card for thirty different buildings. And I think <laughs> I think there's another advantage too, Graham. Right, and that is throughput. Right. So you mentioned the city of Toronto and other major centers. Right, throughput, getting people off the roads and into parking and garages and so on is hypercritical in a very dense populated environment and, and, and digging around for a credential or even a mobile credential is prohibitive. So I think, you yeah, know, L- right, LPR right. is yeah. highly advantageous from a throughput standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. As Grant identified though, I mean, you marry all these technologies and they're all working together to my earlier question. That's where now the magic happens for that customer journey. So you seamlessly get gain entry on that opening beyond the curb through our technologies. And now you're in, now you have to gain entry to that facility that is not going to be carrying your car and your license plate through that door. So that's where you're marrying the individual with a credential electronically tied to that asset of a vehicle. Now you have a seamless experience for both your everyday user to your infrequent guests in a very controlled and secure manner. So we're all being issued IPV numbers. <laughs> in a way, yeah. You may be issued multiple numbers, right? So as Brian said, you may have your license plate associated with you. You may have also an embedded number that you don't necessarily know that's mobily issued, but you have multiple 
I'll call them credentials that sit and are identified. Which is with okay. You. Because Absolutely. it's seamless to the patron. Correct. What are we trying to do? We're trying to make it, no, we don't have a choice to make it more convenient to the consumer. It's an on-demand society. We don't get to decide now. So all we're trying to do is in the back end, make it as secure as possible, fast as possible, and as convenient. What we do in the back end is all us guys playing around with our technology to make sure it's good. But in the end, the consumer sees a great experience. And Grant, I think that's the convergence of what I'll, I'll refer to as that building ecosystem. We, you know, we have so many players at the building. And the challenge is how do you make that ecosystem of technologies and products interact to the point where we meet the expectations of the consumer, which is exactly what Brian mentioned in Ukraine. And as I said, remember, a it seamless start, solution. starts at the building entrance. Okay, wait, let's do it this way. <laughs> let's strip it all the way down. I have all my credentials on my phone. I drive up to a building. What happens? So, so we've got that solution. LPR detects you. Oh, know what he's saying. Sorry. Oh, um, no, you don't. I, I don't. You have one application that marries 100 applications. So all you see is Steve's application might be the head-end application. When you walk in, it'll open the gate. It'll open the overhead door. It'll read your plates. It'll do everything. There are apps below it, but we will call layered but you only see one on your phone. You don't need all that. When you download his app, you get it all. Okay, so the gate opens, the door opens, my car is identified. Coffee's delivered, you get food, all that. (laughs) That's the idea. And that's what the smart companies are doing. Okay, I'm in a condo. It calls the elevator for me, tells the concierge that I'm on site. So Alan, let let me walk you through it. So today, with the combination of Dormer Cava and Locomobi World, you would have now both the resident and or guest. I like to use guest because right now in most condominiums, that is the number one challenge. We can call it visitor, but. Sure. Visitors, any, any, any non-traditional person needs to get access and in a very convenient, secure way. So with one system, with the multiple layers that you're hearing this discussion, you're able to now qualify and securely get that individual and their asset into that parking garage seamlessly through their license plate and or phone. And then that individual who is identified and tagged to the security system in that building gains access through those openings, as Steve identified earlier, and will be tracked essentially up through any other means, including elevators, up into visiting either in the common area and or the individuals in their unit. That all exists today. It's all about marrying and working together. Again, universal standards. That's yes. the big one. Oh, it's, 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 it's partnerships. So, so in the absence of standards, it's partnerships. It's working together to develop that, 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 that platform that can, can interoperate. It's what, where Steve made it really clear, and he's right, the development happens at the app level. You try to write APIs and interfaces to all the hardware, good luck. Yeah. The cloud has changed our life. It's made us be able to, uh, to interface applications, to develop code and um, algorithms that are much easier to do because we're working with existing uh, software that already has a lot of the functionality. And when you marry it, it's much easier uh, to do, Alan. So it's not as complicated as you think because it really isn't. You just have to decide 
how it's going to look to the user. That's the big thing. And the smart companies out there are doing that, the smart building companies, and we're all involved with those guys. And that's where we all work together. And that's not going to change even to interfacing with autonomous cars. And, you know, we talked the other day about disabled people and all the different things we have to do. We're going to be able to identify, you know, disabled people maybe through, through facial recognition. Um, and what do we do when he pulls up to that front door, walks up in his wheelchair? This is really cool. We can now service those people so much quicker. And that's, isn't that what we're trying to do, guys? Is not lock out somebody that should be serviced. I think with all this technology, that's the positive side of all this controlling stuff. <laughs> yeah. Access and security needs to be uh, uh, suited for, you know, our, 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 the people that are using the tech, right? It's got to be flexible. It's got to be, you know, at the point of, uh, of use. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more on that, Grant. So we're seeing this being introduced now, how long before it's in widespread use? So, it's, so as Brian said, it's it's already being used in in pockets, right? Mobile credentials are being used in in, in a number of environments. I think the next stage is uh, you're going to see more and more demand from consumers to see uh, mobile credentials flexed and leveraged across multiple platforms, and that's where we're going back to how do we make that easy. Because it may not be necessarily the answer to put, you know, all the manufacturers in a room to build a standard or, but an app as Grant and, and I've alluded to could be the answer to say, how does this really escalate and, and provide, you know, seamless access control and security for, for, for consumers? I think that's where it's going. I think uh, long term, it's out there today, five, 10 years, I think you're going to see a significant change in terms of just how much access control, mobile credentials, physical access control that is managed through our phones. Will governments have any role in this? Um, you know, I, I, I don't see government, you know, having a big factor in this. I think what's really going to drive this is, is manufacturers, and, right? And, and consumers. Private, private investment. Um, Correct. Because they lead the way. But I'm so talking about a regulatory point of view. Communication-wise, that's it. I don't see that. I love that question, though. Sorry to interject. I love that question because the industry, uh, sorry, the security industry lives by standardization. Um, Almost got complacent by it. Um, And I love Steve's answer because as manufacturers, we're seeing this is an opportunity to go beyond and waiting for governments to to legislate, and it's all about understanding the convenience with the security that's available today that exactly as Grant identified, that does go mainstream. So to go mainstream, you need big players to accept it and drive it. And we're, we're quite complacent as individuals um, to aid the end users to drive for more. They're just stuck with, okay, I'll live with the key. Why? I, I think, Alan, where it's going to go, if it hasn't already, we'll all be coded by federal communications, okay? Because we're not, our stuff, um, our main enterprise hardware is all through certification and so on. But when you start communicating over waves, that brings in Department of Communications. And whether it be the FDA or whoever it is, they will decide how we communicate um, and to protect Every day. They're doing that now, by the way, with Bluetooth and so on. Um, so I think that's going to be 
where it comes in and, and where do we fit in right now? If you're on the wrong megahertz of communication, even for proximity, you can't do it. Yeah. And, and so, I, so it's going to be through them. Yeah, the, the spectrum's going to fill up. <laughs> yeah. And as, as soon as you cross that line into privacy, you know, like social insurance numbers and so on, then absolutely going to see a lot more government regulation. Everything that we're talking about here today is not that. We're not tying you to anything more than a number. Is that it's funny? A, it's a sophisticated number. It's encrypted. It's an identifier. It's, a, it's an identifier. We don't want to know where you live. We don't nope. want to know what you eat. And by the way, we're in the same vote as, as, as Steve, is that we make it very clear, even when we read a plate, we're not reading the DO Department of Transportation. We don't want to. Can we? No. Can we send it to them? Yes. Will we? No. Um, can the police department get licensed to do it and come to us for the info? Yes. But it, we will never do that. Neither will Steve's company because we will not be in that position to be that socially over overviewer of people's lives. And even then, all you'll have, all you know is the number. It's all we care you don't know, about. You don't know the name that it's necessarily tied to and so on and so forth. Unless far. they give it to you, Correct. you don't want to know it. Correct. And that number is going to be how many characters long? Oh, they're all different. Longer than you'll want to remember. Yeah, you don't care. <laughs> well, this you is, don't care. This has been fascinating, Steve. Thank you very much for coming. Um, what is your your full title at Dorcaba? So I'm Vice President of Sales and Service for Canada, Dormacaba. Appreciate you taking the time. This has been great, and uh, good luck with. I think we up. can continue this one for another hour. Well, I so. think we could. I mean, we, it just goes on and on and on because of the applications. I want to thank Brian for stepping in as well to get involved today. Thanks, Brian. True privilege. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Stephen Dittinger from Dormacamba. We are already working on new programs where we'll get to hear from more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. Now, as always, we would love your feedback and questions. Send everything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Again, that's feedback at thesmartcity.blog. You can check out our website, which is thesmartcity.blog. That's where you'll find past programs as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant, Andrea Crawford. I'm Ellen Cross, and we will talk next time.